When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. I'm keen to talk about illegal fishing because I think this is an area that doesn't really get that much attention, I guess, in sort of just the general sort of public and news. But I know you guys have a number of direct action campaigns around illegal fishing. But if we just bring it back to just the basics to start with. So I guess the first question is, Jeff, what actually is illegal fishing? Yeah, so it's a mix. It's IUU or illegal, unregulated and unreported fishing. So it's either blatant illegal in that they don't have a license to be there or they could have a license to be there, but they're unreporting their catch or they might be, you know, say we've caught three sharks as bycatch and trying to catch this big, you know, school of tuna, but it's actually more like 120 sharks as bycatch and they're not, they're not putting all that documentation down. But there's also another side to illegal fishing as well, the slavery component as well. There's a lot of links between legal fishing and slavery. And, you know, Sea Shepherd, you mentioned we, we look at the key threats, illegal fishing, plastics, climate, and illegal fishing, you know, in some places accounts up to 40% of the catch. So four out of every 10 fish is caught illegally. And when it comes into Australia, like from out overseas, there's no way to know, you know, there's no heart tick or, you know, standard to say, oh, well, this, this fish that is, I'm going to buy doesn't have slavery connected with it or illegal, unregulated and unreported fishing. So there isn't nothing like that that exists at the moment. So just to get that number right again, so did you say what proportion of fishing globally and I guess coming to Australia is illegal? What proportion did you say? Well, that's the unknown factor. Coming into Australia, it's, it's unknown. But globally, in some places, four out of every 10 fish that's caught is caught illegally. That's crazy. People who aren't familiar with the slave trade in fishing, I really recommend finding out more about it. There's a great book called Outlaw Ocean by Ian Urbane, I think it is, and talks about that. But you've got these people from various, very poor socioeconomic areas, often basically signing a contract to commit themselves for a very, very long period. Generally, they don't really earn any income in the first six months or so. They often sign away their property, et cetera. So if they essentially want to leave the ship, they physically can't. You know, in terms of the, the contracts, the underpaying, the horrendous working conditions, you know, high rates of injury and, and death. And that's just the human side of thing. And then you go down, like uh, Jeff mentioned, the ecological impacts, the incredible amounts of bycatch, which would just make anyone disgusted. And the fact that we don't know the extent of that within Australia, if it's 40% globally, that's an incredible 
statistic to consider when you think that a lot of people do eat sea life and don't really think about the consequences, whether they be ecological or socio, um, you know, human related. It's staggering, really. Yeah, it's huge. And there's, you know, the thing is that most of the illegal fishing that occurs occurs in some countries' waters, which means there is an opportunity to arrest these poachers, you know. But, and that was the thing, you know, the, the Thunder Chase was great in that, you know, we chased this vessel for 110 days at sea and we were notifying various countries and Interpol of its location so that if it came into someone's port, we would hope that they would arrest it and detain this vessel. And in the end, he, you know, the captain sunk his own ship off the principal island nation of Sao Tome and, and Principe in West Africa. The officers had booked their flights out of there a week in advance. So they knew exactly what they were doing. The crew were let go because, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they'd signed up for. But one of the countries that said they would arrest the Thunder was Gabon in West Africa. And that led to us having discussions with Gabon. Realising I had a small coast guard that couldn't patrol very far out to sea. And we said, well, what if we provide the ships, the mostly volunteer crew and the fuel, and you provide the armed authority on our ships? And that's been so successful that we've now got eight government partnerships. We've facilitated the arrest of over 70 illegal fishing vessels. And in terms of tangible outcomes, we can see that, for instance, in Liberia, the artisanal fishermen can see the fish returning for the first time in decades because they would have these big trawlers come through and operating in waters reserved for them and take through in basically a day what they would take in a year with their small wooden boats. And the president of Liberia recently gave us the Distinguished Service Order, the, the highest military honour for our work tackling illegal fishing. And in places like Gabon, you know, Gabon has seen in working with us and seeing the impacts of the fishing fleets have then increased their marine parks and marine sanctuaries and they've banned the use of live fish aggregating devices, which means that a fisherman cannot set their nets around a whale or a whale shark because often, you know, fish aggregate around these, these big animals. And also recently we were able to showcase to one of the fisheries ministers, like you mentioned before, just the huge impacts of bycatch. So there was this trawler out there trying to get effectively, you know, prawns or shrimp and essentially like there was about this much, you know, just as basically a couple of handfuls and this huge amount of bycatch. And from that the fisheries minister went, okay, and has suspended all shrimp trawling activities until further notice. So yeah. it shows that when you can provide that, um, either there's the arrest, yeah. you can show transparency, and you can actually see those outcomes. And, and in fact, a lot of people after watching the Sea Spiracy documentary, which really featured our work, they all just phoned up and said, that's it, I'm not eating seafood again, because they couldn't trust that certification, the MSC, the Dolphin Safe, all those things. On that, one of my favourite episodes was we had Dr. Adrian Gutteridge from Marine Stewardship Council. And, and I really questioned him about, I guess, the sustainable seafood certification by MSC. I guess the thing out loud, so if we don't really know what proportion of seafood coming into Australia is illegal, I just don't understand how we actually certify any seafood as being sustainable, given we don't really know what extent of fish is actually being taken from our oceans. Yeah, I think that you can't have sustainable fishing while there's illegal fishing because you mm. can't set a quota and then, you know, if there's a bunch of illegal boats there, then there's no way that that can be sustainable. But I think there's, you know, it's very different overseas in Australia's. It's a much different kettle of fish here compared to other parts of the world. But we do also need to be mindful that we have an ever-increasing population and with that we have an increase in 
recreational fishermen that then all want to go and throw a line in as well. And that also has a big impact as well. So, I mean, Sea Shepherd is pretty clear our, our stance. It's uh, leave the oceans alone and let them let them recover. All of our ships are plant-based vegan ships. All Sea Shepherd events are, are plant-based, you know, vegan. We always look at things down the line, our, our merchandise, eco-ethical, non-sweatshop, you know, vegan dyes, et cetera, et cetera. But if you really, you know, want to eat seafood, I mean, speak to your local fishmonger and um, get the advice from them because, you know, stuff that's coming in from outside, there isn't a lot, isn't a lot of transparency there. There are organisations working on trying to improve that, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure where, where that's at at the moment. But, yeah, our, our stance is you want to help the oceans, uh, <laughs> leave it alone. So what obviously Sea Shepherd Australia does great work in this space and and globally as well. But what really does need to change to address this issue? Because illegal fishing is obviously a massive issue globally. And I guess one stance would be just say, "Hey, look, people don't eat seafood." But unfortunately, a lot of people are reliant on seafood and choose to eat it for whatever reason. Not me personally. What changes would you like to see happen within Australia and globally to really mitigate this illegal fishing problem? Yeah, I think we need bigger marine parks and marine sanctuaries. We've already said that you know, it's only a small percentage of the globe that actually is protected. And so I think even Sir David Attenborough has called for at least 30% of our oceans to be protected, which isn't a huge amount given it is our primary life support. But with that, protection needs enforcement. So there's no point in having protection without enforcement. You can have the best technology and satellites, etc., but you still need boots on the ground you still need ships on there because you know some of these vessels you can go over with a spotter plane and you may see them operating illegally but as soon as that plane is over the horizon they've changed their id they've changed their markup they've changed their name so you really do need that greater enforcement out there i think tighter in terms of the, the traceability as well on that and the links to slavery as well because that needs to be exposed as well it's you know there's people out there that have a ship comes into port and they go to the local pub, they meet some locals and say, hey, you want to come out and make some money? You say goodbye to the wife and kids and you're not seen for five years. You know, this is the stuff that goes on. So there's a humanitarian aspect as well to that, absolutely. But, yeah, I think definitely more marine parks, more marine sanctuaries, just great, greater stewardship across the board from everyone that uses the ocean for, for different reasons, absolutely. Twelve months ago or so, Chief, I learned how to meditate and um, uh, I meditate twice a day and it's using a technique, Vedic meditation, which is a, an Indian tradition. And I recently listen, was listening to Tom Knowles, who's uh, a master in Vedic meditation, and he was talking about life and how the fact in the Ice Age we went back to 12,000 people on the planet and agriculture meant that people could go out and you know learn new skills and so forth and he got to the point he goes I laugh at people that go out and say save the planet the planet's going to be just fine when we all piss off you know like if we all left and stuffed it up it might take 10 or 20,000 years but it's not save the planet it's save ourselves and it's something that really resonated with me. And, you know, like you know, the planet's going to do just fine when we stuff this up. It's actually about saving ourselves. And to your point, just leave it alone, you know. Uh, if we don't leave it alone, then it's going to come back and bite us. So uh, I, I just wanted to add that because I heard you say that and um, those type of things, I think through social media, I think that's really helped see Shepherd Australia, um, the, all the great work that you do. 
and all the the great media and the people to be able to to be able to go behind the scenes and see not just you guys ramming uh, a boat, but seeing all the beach cleanup, seeing all the advocacy work. It's really connecting you with the community and giving you a louder voice. And 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 you know, as you said, doing it on the smell of an oily rag. I um, mean, you guys are like performance coaches. So, um, <laughs> amazing what you what you're doing out of it. But we say on the show, hey, look, we all like solutions, you know. And you've been on the front line for the last twenty years. Are you optimistic about our future? Number one and number two. What's your advice to the people listening to to the podcast? We are trying to save ourselves from ourselves, absolutely. And the planet will always be here, regardless. You know, this is the. Sixth extinction, there's been five previous extinction events. That's the Homocene because it's created by humans and it's happening faster than any other extinction event. So it's not good news. And the last time we had one related to carbon wiped out something like 96% of marine life, you know, gone. And so that is our primary life support. And we're missing phytoplankton in our oceans. They're down by numbers 40% that give us most of the air that we breathe and phytoplankton are so important for you know drawing carbon out of the atmosphere as well and providing us with oxygen so it is it is alarming it is, it is scary absolutely but am i optimistic i have to be as a father and i also think that we have had some incredible victories to date but i also get inspired by when I go and do a school talk and see that how knowledgeable the kids are, they're, 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 the knowledge that they have, I wasn't even in the ballpark, you know, and, and their passion and commitment. I feel that what Sea Shepherd's doing is buying us that little bit more time to wake up and that younger generation come through and vote for the planet. I have to believe that. And I also see many other industries and companies that are going, look, okay, the government's just, you know, still in bed with fossil fuel companies, they're still lagging behind. But there are businesses out there getting on and doing some really good stuff. You know, I mentioned you know, David Carter again from Austral Fisheries. He's taken his entire fishing fleet and businesses and offices carbon neutral and they do huge tree planting of different species and biodiversity. Yes, they're a big commercial fishing company, but they're actually, you know, they've been leading within this space. Walking the walk. Walking the walk, you know. And so that's the stuff that I get inspired by. But also we do have victories, which definitely does, you know, light us up a bit. But the advice is to people out there is that one, pick your battle. So you don't have to save all the animals or, you know, all the forests or all the oceans. Just pick your battle, something you're passionate about and get on board. There's no shortage of help required. But also don't do it to the detriment of your own mental health and well-being so make sure you're still looking after yourself so you know as the saying goes fill your cup fill your own cup and let the world benefit from the overflow so make sure you're still you know you're not sitting online and feeding your senses through those all those negative images of animals in you know live export or or animals being treated cruelty or forests being cut down all this you know stop being aware of it is cool but don't feed your senses that stuff every day like still look at beautiful imagery and footage of the forests and the oceans and get out and enjoy nature still because that's really important. We need to look after our own mental health and well-being and then we can actually get involved in these fights. That's really, you know, really important. So, yeah, charge forth with optimism because the ones that want to destroy the planet want us to be down. They don't want us to be optimistic. So we need to be optimistic. We need to encourage one another 
We need to stand shoulder to shoulder and go, right, let's do it. We can do this. And it's shown that we can. You know, we, we say we need, you know, we need hope, but there is no hope without action. And it was action that saw a bunch of volunteers from around the world with very little funding head down to the Southern Ocean and take on the Japanese whaling fleet, heavily funded and backed by the government of Japan, and won and stopped whaling in the Southern Ocean. It's now a century for the whales. You know, it was community, it was it was groups getting together that said, yeah, you won't stop BP, you won't stop Chevron, you won't stop Equinor, they're too big. And yet all big oil and gas have pulled out for drilling for oil in the Great Australian Bite. So never let someone tell you you can't do something because we can, because when we come together, the impossible becomes possible. Absolutely. And that's what charges me and keeps me going forward. And, hey, I'm just one person. Like there's potential for anyone out there to be a, you know, Sir David Attenborough or, or Paul Watson or, you know, Diane Fossey or a Jane Goodall. Or a Jeff Henson. <laughs> <laughs> one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> but absolutely. I mean, I... I grew up in Melbourne and I, I lived down the creek and lifting rocks and catching lizards and snakes and, you know, I had very low confidence and not a public speaker and it shows that any one of us has it in them to do anything, mm. be that an Ironman or stop, you know, oil and gas in the bite, you know. <laughs> yeah. Take, take your perk. Yeah. And, and look, I, I love the point you make and I've heard you say before in terms of, you know, in response to Jeremy's comment about, hope um, and optimism that hope's great but there is no hope without action and that's one thing that i see time and time again sea shepherd australia just so a fantastic at doing is acting really effectively picking your battles like you said but achieving great outcomes and to that i just again i take my hat off to the whole crew behind sea shepherd uh, yourself included and i think it's just you guys have just done such amazing work in a very short period of time but i guess the key question i have now is what's actually next for sea shepherd australia you're you're the guy uh, i guess in charge so uh What's your plans or, or, or is that sort of top secret? You don't want to tell uh, some of the powers that be or, or are you allowed to give us no, a sneak I mean, insight? <laughs> no, there's no secrets. <laughs> oh, dear, that's not true, Deb. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. <laughs> so for all our listeners, you want to see he's got these plans behind him at the moment. Um, anyway, we can't talk about it. <laughs> secrecy. So what, what is next? Well, there's a few things that I really want to work on. So... Um, is really actually spending quite a bit of time while it's quiet at the moment to really work on a bit of a you know an updated strategic plan for Sea Shepherd in Australia. So 
really looking at you know where we're at now, what we've achieved, and and, and what's what's next, and and that's really exciting because I'm I get I really get to let my campaign brain run wild, so I'm excited about that. But I guess you know some real pieces for you know where Sea Shepherd Australia fit within the global picture. So there's a, a bunch of money that we do raise here it helps the the global campaign contributions. And that could be paying for the ship's insurances, which is about $200,000 a year, or it could be paying key uh, global roles like our technical superintendent for our ships, our head of media. So we pay for a number of key global roles as well. And so that keeps us connected to the global mission and thinking about, you know, really how do we best coordinate our resources and funding globally to have the biggest impacts for the oceans. And so that's where you have you know, a global board, which is Paul Watson, Peter, Alex, and a number of those global board members on the Australian board. So that keeps us thinking about national impacts, but also, you know, thinking globally as well. And I guess in terms of Australia, well, our Marine Debris campaign, we really need to grow that in terms of support more, you know, the remotes and the work we do there trying to see that plastic tap turned off from a government level and industry industry level. Our dream for the east coast of Australia is to see the nets and drum lines gone off the coast, which is what previous Senate inquiries have shown that they do nothing for public safety. And in fact, they trap and kill marine life. And, you know, when we get a humpback trapped in a shark net, it then puts the lives of the de-entanglement teams at risk because people have died trying to de-entangle humpbacks. We've had nets that have come loose and drum lines that have been actually killed people, you know, just from them itself. They're supposed to be there to save people and they've actually killed people as well. Now, with the Australian sea line has just been listed as endangered, so we definitely want to work more in that space to see what we can do working with, you know, the South Australian Parks team to see what we can do to re- return that species to improve its status. So it's, you know, definitely been suffering a lot. Given we've knocked out, you know, big oil and, and gas in the bite, we'd like to see what more we can do for a greater protection piece there. So getting involved in different climate fights when we can, you know, we're involved with helping out with the, the big Scarborough gas, gas project that's here in WA. We're still involved with the Stoppadani Alliance. There's many other ones coming down the line. So I really see the vision is actually we're sort of here and I've, it's a chance to stop, rebuild and build an even more effective team and then charge forward again so yeah i'd i'd love to be seeing you know a, you know, more campaigners on our team uh, and then just i guess being like the arms and legs and just let them go for it and give them strategy and guidance as as they charge forward and i guess to me i like i don't like lots of lots of detail i just like to see yep this is the issue this is what we're doing about it job's done tick on to the next one well, as always, Jeff, Ocean Protect is always more than happy to uh, lend a hand as well. Obviously, um, I'm helping out Graham with these waves of change events, but uh, if there's any other ways that maybe we can assist in the work that you guys do, uh, please let us know. But look, we probably need to land this flam. Oh, do we? No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> no, yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's got ours. I just want to say one more thing. <laughs> hang, hang on, Jeff. Do you really have ours? <laughs> no, he does have ours. But, but, but um, you know, a big environmental climate change summit that's going on, on at the moment over in Germany. What are your thoughts around that? It's got 400 private jets being flown to this thing. You've got Joe Biden falling asleep at the first bloody press conference. What are your thoughts out of what's going to come out of this? Is it, is it all greenwashing? The point of this is I, I saw a photo of, I don't know, you remember 
2017, our now Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was holding up a big chunk of coal, and now he's up on the world stage talking about renewables. 2019, he said, we want to stop plastic going into our oceans. So what are your general thoughts about that? My general thoughts is I don't have a lot of hope for government. I think there's so much talk and very little action. And I think the reality is the dollar is just going to drive the change. So we're already seeing, you know, billions and trillions of dollars of investment going we're not going to fund fossil fuel projects. We're only going to fund and support renewable projects. I think the Australian government is going to be left far behind, which is really sad because there's a lot of Australian people here that want to do the right thing by renewables and a really good sustainable future, but they're not getting the support because all the subsidies go towards the fossil fuel industry and not helping these big projects. But what we're going to see is actually, which is coming really fast, is because of our record now on climate, Industries and people in Australia are actually going to be penalised when they're trying to export their goods out of Australia. So they're going to be hit with wow, huge, yeah, huge, yeah. huge tariffs. And so they're going to scream at the government going, we are now getting impacted because of your lack of leadership here. So once again, we're going to see more and more dollar driving the change. We saw it with, you know, Adani and other campaigns where we were seeing, okay, where are they getting their insurance from? Where are they getting their funding from? Which bank is going to support them? So activism has become really smart in that space to go, okay, well, if you fund this project, you know, ComBank or whoever, this is going to name and shame and people are going to take their money out of your bank. Yeah, and your sustainability statement on your on your website. It means nothing. It means nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's really smart. I hope something good comes out of it. I don't think anything that tangible will but my belief is that industry and business and money is what's going to drive the change as well as the continued push from the school strikers are really important because all those kids out there on the street, the bigger that becomes, those kids are, are, are someone's son or someone's daughter and those sons or daughters work for certain sectors and I think you know make the school strike so big that businesses join that as well. We're seeing more companies t- sign up to that to support that as well. Mm, and mm. so they should. So they mm. should. Well, what's the point in going to school if there isn't a future for them? Yeah. What's been surprising to me is that how anyone expected our pol- political leaders to act any differently. You know, why do we expect Scott Morrison to change his tune on, on climate change and actually do something really significantly proactive? He's obviously in the pockets of fossil fuels and big agriculture. So why should we expect him to change his tune? But it, it, for me, it highlights the importance of grassroots action and direct action. I really believe that environmental groups and, and, and I guess community groups have learned how to become form, far more effective. Sea Shepherd Australia is a great example, but I, I feel as though a lot, a lot of just groups in general are far more effective. You know, we've got the power of social media. We're far better com- at communicating. We're far better at collaborating than we were before. So in that regard, I think that gives me a lot of hope, but it also highlights the importance of that grassroots activism and to actually support it when we can. And to be honest, we, we can do more. And, and to be honest, we have to. We've almost got no choice. For my mind, this is the decade of change. We're facing some enormous challenges, climate change, deforestation, biodiversity loss. Uh, and that some of these challenges seem insurmountable. Uh, and it feels as though we're going to, it's beyond our limits to um, address these issues. But it just gives, for me, it gives us the opportunity to actually go beyond our perceived limits and actually achieve what can seem impossible. Uh, and to be honest, I, I really am optimistic that we will. To Jeff's point, anyone can do it. And I, I think mm. one of your neighbours, Re- Rebecca Prince Ruiz, the founder of Plastic Free July. Mm. I don't know how many people did it this year, but 
I mean, I think last year was 300 million people. But that's the power of one person going to a recycling facility, yep. oh, how long ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago, and then getting her community, her street involved with doing it, and then went from a street. Here we go, Jeremy. In 2020, 326 million participants got involved wow. with Plastic Free July. <laughs> <laughs> That is in itself what, what I guess this whole podcast and what Sea Shepherd's mm. about, empowering the person. Yeah. You know, Jeff, you were off doing your electrical engineering and, you know, thinking that you were living life. Gee, some 20 years later, mm. you're pulling off some of the biggest environmental upsets mm. and, and doing it with 10 people on the smell of an oily rag. Mm. So. I love our job. I love that. <laughs> we can achieve great things. There's no doubt about that. And it's worthwhile noting each of those 326 million people, each of the kids that participates in these school strikes, everyone that wears a Sea Shepherd T-shirt, a cap or a beanie, we're all voters and we all vote every day with our dollar. So you can choose to support whatever initiative or business or group that you want. And for me, that gives us enormous power. We are far more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. And for me, that, that gives a, a real source of optimism. It's an important point because, you know, the other, the other element that is really important in all this is that kindness isn't selective. So just because someone works in oil and gas or someone eats meat or doesn't eat meat or whatever they do is just be kind mm. because you get so much further. I've seen that on both sides. I've seen people that are quite bullying, harassment, mean, very conservative or right wing. Or people that are, you know, animal rights people or, you know, et cetera. And so it's really simple. Just be kind to everyone because at the end of the day, every single human has been part of the problem. So let's be part of the solution going forward and, uh, and work together. Absolutely. What did, what did Joaquin Phoenix say? I think, uh, go run to the river with, uh, kindness or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, see, this is what happens when we don't land the plane. <laughs> Jeff Hansen, um, I mean, man crush to you and your organisation. <laughs> Hopefully now getting you on board means uh, we might get uh, Captain Paul Watson one day. I don't know. <laughs> but look, from the bottom of our little hearts, you inspire thousands, millions of people to do great things. You get out there and you walk the walk, people that we've met, the Lisa Dicks, the Graham Lloyds, you can feel it, their passion, and that comes from the top. Yeah. And it comes from leadership and yourself and your other people that do lead this great organisation inspire millions of people around the world to do the right thing. So thanks for jumping on our little podcast. I've got goosebumps again. But thanks for taking the time to, to share your story and good luck in anything we can do to help. Please let us know and, and, um, and look, we just, lots of man love going on right here. So inspiring. Again, the work that you guys do is always inspiring. And, and for me, and I'm sure Jeremy, just talking to you today has been a real privilege and so inspirational. So from the bottom of my plant-based heart, uh, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, look forward to potentially collaborating in the future. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, it's, we really are more than an organisation. We're a movement, you know, a movement of people all over the planet just connected by the love of nature and a deep understanding of its ecological importance and that, and quite simply, putting nature first is putting humanity first. And so we all live and breathe that. We're in for, you know, a much healthier, saner future for, for mm. all life on the planet. So, yeah, you have to hold on to that and charge forward. So, yeah, we, um, we'll continue to do the best we can with our limited resources and funding and we look forward to catching up in person one day soon. I look forward to booking in and talking to you again in 12 months' time. It'd be great. <laughs> boom, boom. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. 
If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.